Galatians 5, 16 through 25. We'll read it in a few minutes. When I was a teenager, there was a young man in our youth group named Byron. And um, Byron's dad was a pastor. And his dad died young. His dad was in his 50s. I don't know how he died. He was he already passed away by the time I met Byron. But he had passed away and it, and it left Byron very... Um, he was raised by his mother who was now a single mom. And they struggled financially. And it, it left, it left uh, Byron really... Um, insecure and, and cynical about life and introverted and a lot of times just discouraged. And several years or, or a little while before I met him, maybe months before I met Byron, he had, he had asked Jesus into his life. So he, he had had that experience where, where Jesus lived inside of him, but he still struggled. But I remember a specific time, I, I, I sort of came, I came to Christ, I was churched in a way, but I was unchurched. My church experience was so um, narrow and defined when I left church and then came back into church and then met Christ and all that. I sort of viewed everything from an outside view. I didn't, it didn't connect with me initially that, you know, God was real and all that till I met him. But I had just come to faith in Christ shortly and I began to watch Byron. And I remember a specific time in his life when, when, when I would see him at Bible studies, I would see him at church, I would see him one-on-one, and, and he just seemed to be changing. Every week he seemed to be getting to be a better person. You know what I mean? He seemed to be, he seemed to be changing, becoming, becoming more, well, more like Jesus. He, 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 I kind of felt like the Israelites when Moses came down off the mountain and Moses had the glow on his face and they put the little uh, covering over his face. When I looked at him, he just seemed to have a glow on him. I mean, I mean, he just, he just seemed to be changing week in and week out. And I didn't know how to describe it then. But as I look back on it, I realized something. I now would call that supernatural. Now, a few years later, I went to Southeastern. I went to um, Southeastern College in Lakeland, Florida, prepare for ministry. And there were people from all over the country there, from about 48 states. And what was strange is, is I looked around the campus and I, and I saw so many people who were walking with Christ, who had that relationship with Jesus, and they seemed to have, they seemed to have that same glow about them. They seemed to have that, I don't know, something was changing inside them. A few years after that, I went to the Netherlands. And I spoke at a small Bible school there and and met some uh, local people in a, a local church, and I worked with some missionaries, and they seemed to have the same kind of thing going on. I was wondering, what, what is that? I went to Argentina a few years later, and we went to seven or eight congregations. We went to the Bible school. I met a couple of students from other countries, one guy from Africa, and they seemed to have that same, that same thing happening in them. Now, one of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen in my life is that I've met Christians from all over the world, from different cultures, who speak different languages, but who end up acting the same. Now, now that might not be mysterious to you. That might be very normal sounding to you. But in the end, they end up with the same values. They end up with the same nature. There's a love and a peace and a goodness about them. I call that supernatural. It's the place where heaven is touching earth in a corporate way, in a group way, in an individual and a, and a community way. It makes sense that, it, that if the same heaven is touching us, 
that no matter where you put us all over the world, we would begin to look and sound and act alike. Not in a robotic way. We're as diverse as you can be. The Christian church all over the world is as diverse as any group I know. But yet there's a value, there's a goodness, there's an there's a inner essence, there's, a, there's, a, there's an inner spiritual reality that stands up and looks the same. Through language barrier, through cultural difference, through different accents, I can still recognize the same image of Jesus in people who've never met each other. How does that happen? Supernatural. We've talked about this door that sort of separates the supernatural from the natural. And there's those moments that God seems to reach through and touch us in supernatural ways to reveal himself. We talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about new birth. This morning, though, rather than talking about a moment or an event, do you think that there might be supernatural processes whereby God reaches through that door like he shoots a gamma ray through that door? If I explain it in sci-fi, I understand it. A gamma ray through that door, he shoots it into us, and that supernatural process is at work in us. The, the tangible things around us might be uh, physical, they might be natural, but there are supernatural forces behind them that mash them around us, that bring them in play in our life, that shape us in a certain way. If I could give every believer only one of the messages in this series, it would be this one. Because I think it's the most important one for believers. It's probably the least impressive one. But in, but in application, it's the most important one. In my view, the most important place where heaven touches earth and the Christian's life is where God's supernatural power presses in on us, works its way out of us to produce Jesus' character inside us. We talk about changing our culture. We've got to penetrate the culture and change the culture. We've got to bring Jesus to the, to the dark world. But we can't change the culture around us until we change the culture in us. You can't change the culture in your family. You can't change it in your marriage. You can't change it in your friendships. You can't change it on your job. You can't change it in your community. You can't change the culture around you until the culture of your mind changes. And what I'm saying to you is the culture of your mind changing is a supernatural act. Look at Galatians chapter, six, chapter 5 this morning with me. Galatians chapter 5. You may recognize this as um, the place that we get the fruit of the Spirit, and that's exactly where it is. Galatians 5, 16 through 25, I'll read a fairly long stretch this morning. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong 
to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Throughout my life, I've often heard people reference the fruit of the Holy Spirit. As I was growing in my walk with the Lord, I I noticed I would hear that reference. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. What we need in our life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then I've heard the list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I tried to memorize them. And And I've heard them over and over and over. And people quote them. What I never heard anyone say, though, was how. Just the pressure of we need to, we ought to, we need to, we should. When the, when the fruit of the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, how, how, does, how does that look? How does that work? How does that, how does that happen? So several years ago, 10 or 12 years ago, I decided to do a study on this passage in Galatians, only asking one question. How do I get the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? And I studied chapter 5 and 6 for six months. And I would just pray and read it and study and say, Lord, how do I get, I know I need it, I'm convinced, I'm like sold, but how, do, how does that happen? How do I get the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? Let me give you a few thoughts this morning. Let me give you a background thought. There, there appears to be a grammatical error in this verse because it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. We say the fruits of the Spirit sometimes. That's not what the Bible says. In the Greek, it's singular. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit. It appears to be a grammatical error, but it's not. Why why does it not say fruits? There's none of them. It's obviously plural. A few few weeks ago, when we were in the God is Love series, I told you how some people think that all eight fruits are an expression of love. Peace is an expression of love. Joy is an expression of love. I, I think that's probably true. But there's another reality at play here. These fruits are integrated like a, like a diamond with many sides or like a cluster of grapes that are sort of separate but together. When the Spirit's producing fruit in your life, He doesn't just pick one fruit and then give it to you. It's not like that. He doesn't just, he doesn't just look at your weakness and say, okay, I'm going to give you that fruit. Or He doesn't just look at your strength and say, well, that's where you're strong. I'm really going to make that, that place stronger. That's not what happens. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It's one thing that reveals itself nine different ways all at once. It's like a pear tree. A pear tree just doesn't produce pears on some limbs and then other limbs are barren. I grew up around fruit trees. We always had 10 or 12 fruit trees in my yard as a kid. I never saw a tree like that. The limb that had no fruit was dead. We cut it off. But the fruit tree didn't decide in itself, I'm just going to put pears on, on these eight limbs and these four over here. I'm not going to. The pear tree only knows how to do one thing. It pushes pears out every available spot. Just keeps pushing them out. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in your life and mine. He pushes the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are all of them. He just keeps pushing them out of our life. Pushing them out of our life. So let me give you a few thoughts this morning. How can we see the fruit of the Spirit in our life? Verse 25 says, this is the first thing, keep in step with the Spirit. When I was eight years old, I remember my dad taking me to a junkyard. We were trying to get an old par, a part for an old car we had, and we were going to go pull it. It was a you-pull-it place. You ever been to a you-pull-it junkyard? You know what that means, don't you? You go pull it. Do you have a, you go pull it. <laughs> sure. If you can find it, you can pull it, and I'll sell it to you. That's a great scheme, isn't it? 
So we're out there walking in this junkyard, and it had rained and rained and rained. And I remember my dad walking in front of me. I was just eight years old, and he, his leg sunk down to past his kneecap with jeans on. He said, whoa. He said, hey, listen, here's how we're going to do this. You ever walk with an eight-year-old in the mud? He said, here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to make sure the ground's good. And when I do, and I pick it up, you put your foot right where mine was. You put your foot right where you see the footprint on the ground where my foot was. And, and I did, and we never sunk again. Isn't that kind of how the Holy Spirit works? He says, look, there is junk all over this world. It's, it's a junkyard. But I'm going to put my foot down... And where you see the Holy Spirit put his shoe, when he picks it up, you take your little foot and I take my little foot and we stick it right there in that footprint and follow him. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step. Sometimes we'll say, you know, we have a tendency in church to create museums filled with artifacts. This is, this, is, this is what God did here. Look, this is, this is what, you know, you, I've heard all my life people searching for Noah's Ark. You know, if you ever find Noah's Ark or the original stone tablets, God's like not in the Ark anymore. You know that, don't you? God's not in the stone tablet where the Ten Commandments were. In the New Testament, He says, by His Spirit, He wrote those laws on a heart of flesh. God, God's Spirit won't behave. It moves. His spirit moves around and does different things and touches people in different ways. The way that you allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to flow in your life is you keep in step with what he's doing. I don't necessarily mean everywhere else. What about what he's doing in you? What about when the Holy Spirit says, study this book of the Bible? What about when he says, study this way? What about when he says, talk to this person? What about when he says, pray like this? What, what, when, he begin, when he leads you in your mind, what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's producing his fruit inside your life. But you have to stay in step with him. You know, in the best of marriages, husbands and wives seem to be able to anticipate each other's moves. You, you ever hear... Let me, let me be careful how I say this. You ever hear one spouse finish another spouse's sentence? And then, no, 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 no. Then they're just mad. And, and after a while, the first one's mad, not because they did it, but because that's exactly what they were going to say. And they know it. The longer, the longer two people are together, the more you can look at one another's face and read each other's mood. You know what's going on. You can look in the eyes. You can look at the expression. Other people may not detect it at all. But boy, that one who knows you knows. That one who's been with you, that one who's lived with you, that one who's eaten with you, that one who's gone where you've gone, that one who knows you almost as well as you know yourself. Boy, that one knows what's going on. This is kind of how it works in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That there does come about a, a almost like a dance where I anticipate the Holy Spirit's moving in my life and I just react my step to His next step. I let him lead and I just move with him. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit will continue to flow out of your life. Here's the, here's the, here's the second one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Galatians 6, verse 8, if we can look at it. Galatians 6, verse 8. The Bible says, 
sow, uh, sow to the flesh and you'll, you'll reap um, not eternal damnation, but that's the, that's the idea. Sow to the Spirit and from the Spirit, uh, Galatians 6, 8, if you're there, says, you'll reap eternal life. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that eternal life looks like? That eternal life looks like Jesus. So to the Spirit and from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. What does the eternal life look like? It looks like Jesus. Let me give you a, a simple illustration. This is a test, all right? All, all you agriculture people, this is a test. Can a farmer create corn? The answer is no. A farmer cannot create corn. A farmer can only plant corn, break up the ground, remove the rocks, remove the weed, water the corn, fertilize the corn, let the sun come out and shine on the corn. But who makes the corn grow? God. Only God can make the corn grow. This is the same way in your life. How do I produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life? I can't... I think we focus so much on our part in spiritual growth that we've neglected to see God's supernatural part. We've not seen that He's the one doing it. We can plant the corn. We can read our Bible. We can pray. We can go to church. We can give. We can fast. We can do the things we're supposed to do. But in the end, only God makes the Spirit like Jesus. It's not our own determination. It's not our own commitment. It's not our own, it's not our own training. Paul uses the same picture in evangelism. He says, hey, some plant the seed, some water the seed, some sow the seed, some harvest. But God is the one who adds, who's the Lord of the harvest, who adds to the church. It should be added. I think the mistake we make before we're saved is we say, I can do this on my own. I think the mistake we make after we're saved is we say, I can do this on my own. We see salvation as a translation into a new world. We talked about this last week. You can act like a Christian. You can behave like a Christian. You can, you can try to become moral like a Christian. You can go to church. You can do the things you're supposed to do. But if you've not had the new birth experience, there's no spiritual life in you. But watch this. Now that you're a believer, you can misunderstand your growth in Christ as something that you do by yourself. It's supernatural. Why do you think it's called the fruit of the Spirit? It's not called the fruit of you. It's not called the fruit of me. I can't make it happen. I, can't, I can do all the right stuff, but I can't make it grow. Only God can make it grow. Now, it's not a, it's not a mathematical formula. It's a little bit more like poetry. Let me give you a really profound example that happened in my life that... Um, may strike you as a little odd, but let me share it with you. When we lived in Long Beach, Mississippi, we were there during Hurricane Katrina. A 35-foot tidal wave came and hit our shore, wiped our town out. Uh, and, and what people would say, oh, you poor thing, you know, the, the storm was so bad. Let me tell you, the storm wasn't nearly as bad as the recovery. The storm... Now, the great thing is Hurricane Katrina, the most... Um, Destructive storm, that uh, natural disaster in American history. It was a destructive storm. The recovery was a restoring storm. It was a healing storm, but it was a storm. We had 55,000 cars come through our property to receive distribution items in, in about three and a half or four months. From, from the late summer till Christmas, we went day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. And I'm just confessing something to you. In that stretch of time, 
I, my, my, my devotions were failing. I was failing my devotions. My prayer time was suffering. My, I wasn't reading the Bible the way I should. I was just running, 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 running. It's just like a fully functioning disaster relief center just, just grew on our parking lot and just stood up one day. There was nothing there, and then it was there. And we treated 10,000 patients in our medical clinic and fed hundreds of people every day for months. We had uh, teams from 48 states come and stay on our property. It was absolute healing chaos. But inside, trying to, trying to keep up, it was wearing me out. I, w- I was burnt out. I was worn out. I was thin. And in the middle of that process, what I, what I want to do is tell you this. I'm not giving you a prescription for power spiritual living in normal times. What I'm telling you is, is underneath the covering of that chaos, I learned something about God that helped me in normal times. But, it, but it's not the pattern for our life now. But it, but it taught me something about God in a deeper way that I didn't know. So what I did is I came to God and I said, Lord, look, I'm, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my part. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not praying the way I should. I'm worn out, fried. My brain's fried. My body's fried. My emotions are fried. I'm just worn out. I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. I need you. God, I just need you. Lord, I need you more than I've ever needed you. And I realize I need you more than I've ever realized it. And I just, listen to me, I just began to connect with God in a very dependent way. Now listen to me for a minute. And what I refuse to do is to allow, when you're in that kind of traumatic level, the last thing you can do is carry around unneeded emotions. So I said, Lord, I'm not going to walk in guilt. I'm I'm just not going to live in guilt. I'm not going to let guilt be the energy that motivates me to, to, you know, uh, I'm a bad Christian. I hadn't done my devotions. I haven't done this. And, you know, maybe I don't even love God. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sink into that cycle, that discouragement cycle, that depression cycle. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to grow in grace. Now, listen to me. What I learned was that it wasn't my, it wasn't my discipline that got me through that time. It was my dependency on God. I didn't do everything I should have done. Could I admit that to you? I didn't do everything I should have done. I didn't do it all right. But it wasn't my, it wasn't my determination or my commitment or my self-discipline that helped me make it through. It was my dependency. It was that I said, God, I don't know how to work this out. I don't know how to make it all right. I just depend on you. And I depended on God and I believed God in faith that he would be there even when I wasn't. You know what it created? Deeper fellowship. It created deeper trust. And that, from that little inner sphere of growing faith and trust, there began to flow out of that the energy I needed to come back and meet with him again. Does this make sense at all? The fruit of the Spirit started to flow in my life and it gave me the energy I needed to meet with Him. Too often I think that we do 
the right spiritual things for the wrong reasons. Too many times I think we do the right things to release ourselves from guilt rather than to fellowship with God. I think we're trying to feel better. And the only way we know how to feel better is to do the right thing so the monkey will get off our back and we can live another day. I think that's what guilt-based Christianity creates in us. But what I learned is the less I depended on my own self-discipline, the less I depended on my determination, the more I depended on the Spirit, the more His work in me strengthened me. The more, the more my faith in Him allowed His Spirit to minister to me when I didn't even know it. So what do I do? Do I just trust God then and I don't have to do anything else? Listen to me. Right. You're 100% dead right. Trust in God, believe in God, have faith in God, and you don't have to do anything else. But the proof... That you have faith in God, that you trust God, that you believe God, is that His fruit is going to start to stand up inside you, and the image of Jesus is going to start to become clearer in you, and you're going to then have the power and the resource to flow in and do the things that are going to grow you. Does this make sense? I think we've wrongly taught people to trust in their own commitment. To trust in their own determination. So you have people who say, I'm close to God. How do you know you're close to God? I do my devotions five times this week. So what if we said, I'm close to God. How do you know? Because my faith is high. Because I believe God. I don't always do the right thing. I don't always do what I ought to do. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not perfect. I'm not a sewing machine that just stamps out every right thing. But when I'm wrong, he's still right. And I believe him. And I trust him. And I have faith in him. And that faith in him releases his, the work of his spirit to keep working on you and me. Even when we're not doing it all right. The process of producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us doesn't depend on our self-discipline as much, listen to this, as it depends on our willingness to embrace God's help. It doesn't depend so much on our determination. I've, I've received into my mind and spirit, whether it was ever intended to be said or not, I don't know. But I've received into my own psyche absorbed into it sermons that, that, that the translation to my mind was be determined. And then you'll be all that God wants you to be. That might be how to learn football or basketball. But that's not how to learn God. The way you learn God is you have faith in God. The way you learn God is you trust God. You don't, you don't equate your own performance with where you are in Him. What you say is my performance is a result of where I am in Him. It's not a cause of where I am in Him. If you're taking notes, write this statement down. You'll never become like Jesus because you're a good follower. You'll only become like Jesus because he's a good leader. Trust him. You'll never become like Jesus because you're a good follower. You'll only become like Jesus because he's a good leader. Trust him to lead you. 
Trust Him to lead you. So to the Spirit. When you take a broken, fractured, selfish, angry, sad, unfaithful person and you produce in them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, well, that's a miracle. That's supernatural. It's not what you and I do on our own. It's what the work of the Spirit's doing in us. It's where heaven touches earth. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul wrote this verse. Just listen to Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, look at this word, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I have a dear friend in Buenos Aires, Argentina named Rocky Grams who's a missionary there. The reason that I love Rocky so much is, is he's one of those guys that I feel like if I could go right up to his hairline and pull the skin off his face like it were a mask, pull it all the way down, that I would be staring face to face with Jesus. I feel like Jesus is under there somewhere. Jesus is in there. He, he, he lives his life in such a fruitful uh, and, and uh, spiritual and passionate and, and loving way with Christ. So the work of the Spirit in my life and your life is the essence of Jesus growing inside us. It's His presence expanding inside us. So what does Jesus look like in you? What does Jesus look like in you? Let me tell you what Jesus looks like in you. He looks like you. Right? What does Jesus look like inside of you? Where, where's that point where heaven touches earth? It's that moment that Jesus expands in me, that Jesus gets bigger in me, that I become more like him. How did the baby Jesus get inside Mary's womb? It was a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. We know that. So it was the essence of Jesus in Mary's womb, but after Jesus was born, it was the same thing. Jesus, the person, was the essence of Jesus with Mary's skin. He had Mary's physical genetics. That's where he got his DNA. But it was the supernatural Jesus in the human flesh. We call that incarnational. What I'm saying is, is as Jesus expands in you, as the fruit of the Holy Spirit works in you, Jesus was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Jesus was those things. Never have we seen the fruit of the Spirit more evident in any human life other than Jesus. But it's going to be like Jesus was. Jesus, Jesus was spirit, but he had to put on a suit of flesh somehow. It was Mary's flesh. You'll always look like you. You'll always sound like you. You'll always be you, but you'll be you only like Jesus with, with his fruit in your life. Jesus was God in human skin. Whose skin? Mary's. The supernatural power of God moves into our life and flows through us in an incarnational way. I read my Bible. I pray. I spend time with the Lord. I seek His face. But I'm not depending on that, am I? What He's doing in me is supernatural. What He's doing in you is supernatural. You're never going to be committed, determined, 
strong enough, big enough. But what happens is, as you have faith in Christ, as you trust Him, as you anchor yourself in Him, the outflow of that will be this divine river of Holy Spirit fruitfulness that will, that will push you into the Jesus lifestyle in a way that you may have never been into it before. How do you get the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Keep in step with the Spirit. So to the Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit. Tr- trust His work in your life. Trust His love over you. Trust His faithfulness. Remember, I'm going to ask our worship team to come now. Remember, you're never, you're never going to be like Jesus because you're a good follower. You're only going to be like Jesus because He's a good leader. And you, you, have to, you have to set your teeth, sink your teeth deep into that reality and let His fruit work its way through your life.